you've heard the phrase hidden in plain sight to describe something which was an obvious answer which no one could find. I have thought of a similar phrase which describes a similar phenomenon but which is sort of the opposite problem and that is missing in plain sight. The the thing that we know should be there, but it's not. That will be the subject of today's episode, and I'm looking forward to it. Have been for a long time. My name is Carrie, and you're listening to From the Hill. So today's episode began several months ago when I tried to write an article about the theme and some of the content. And so since I decided to record this episode just a little bit ago, I thought, well, I'll go back to that document and review some of it. And and then once I did, I thought, well, I will... I will just start reading from it, uh, very contrary to the usual format of this show. Um, so it's a script, but it's an unplanned script. I titled this article, Observing Negative Space, with the subheading, Can What is Missing Be Revealing as What is Present? I'm going to read that again because it's... I misread it. Can what is missing be as revealing as what is present? And I began the article with another sort of, with a sort of non sequitur question to to open up to just more invitations to think and and to kind of set the stage for the long range of this article. The second question is, If my significant other showed me the same lack of care as governments show people, would you advise me to leave her? And I said governments. So I I mean many, many uh, levels of government and, and all throughout the world, no matter where you're listening to this. Take a really good look at what has happened to hospitals, what has happened to schools, what has happened to veterans of war, the fact that we've had so many strange wars over the last hundred years. That, is, it, is it really benevolent? <laughs> if, you find yourself, if you find yourself answering yes, this is an invitation for you to find a way to know um, you know, whether or not you think they've been benevolent towards yourself, it's an opportunity to to look in another direction. Consider someone else's position. That was just one stark example of the, the, the theme here. 
What is missing from what is? What should be that is not? Is what's not present as revealing as what is? Once you, once you get a hold of that idea, once you, you know, you, you end up in a frame of mind like myself when, when you think about Frederick Bastiat, the economist, who, who said, you see what is, but we must, you know, we must concern ourselves as well with what is not seen. And, and so I end up asking these questions, and it ends up taking us down a road such as the one I'm going to, again, begin reading here. I'm quoting from Democrat presidential candidate Tim Ryan in July of 2019. He said, We need to convert our industrial agriculture system over to a sustainable and regenerative system that actually sequesters carbon into soil. And you can go ask... You can go ask Gabe Brown and Alan Williams, who actually make money off regenerative agriculture. So we can move away from all the subsidies that we're giving the farmers. They haven't made a profit in five years. And we could start getting off of food. Pardon me. And we could start getting food into our schools and into our communities. I keep leaving out the word good food in that sentence. Again, pardon me. Resume quote, and that's going to drive health care costs down. That's another part of the health care conversation that we didn't even have. How do we start talking about health instead of just disease care? Again, that was Tim Ryan, Democrat uh, candidate for president during the 2020 election cycle. He said that on the debate stage in July 2019. How are we to have conversations that lead not just to somewhere, but to somewhere radically positive in terms of results, change, that actually works for individual people, liberates them in, in different ways? From my perspective, if there ever were a pursuit with a dramatic uplifting potential, that is regenerative agriculture. That's why I've made it my work. So why not? Why do remarks like Tim Ryan's and those of other candidates on that stage making similar comments, why do they lead to nowhere? It's on, it's on one of the biggest ideological platforms in the world. Why do they lead to nowhere? Ryan's above remarks are likely the most compelling made by a presidential candidate since the libertarian Erwin Schiff in 1996, I wrote. Multifaceted prosperity, including health itself, was essentially on offer by a U.S. House member, that is Tim Ryan, not through handout promises, but through individual empowerment. Really. Consider the contrast with universal basic income and student debt forgiveness. As soon as Ryan said health, 
the debate moderator began to cut him off. I found that fitting. After decades of candidacies and theater about medical care funding and universal health care, what does the D.C. regime stand to gain for healthy people who don't seek doctoring? Why should a fascist political system support an agricultural system that would foster individual independence? But I'm getting ahead of myself. Tim Ryan suspended his campaign less than three months later. Now, lest there be any confusion, this podcast and my original writing was not to be about regenerative agriculture. The above story is just one of countless lenses or contrasting lights through which our focus can be directed to witness negative space. That is, to see what is missing. Who cares? Suppose for a moment that governments don't tend to create dysfunctional circumstances like homelessness. What's to stop the same government that subsidizes millions of dollars of home and education loans from making a program that would significantly curb homelessness, supposedly funding what's needed? No, really, what's in the way? Let's say that you're one of these people that really wants to end homelessness. You, you recognize that the same government who could or should be interested in that goal in subsidizes millions of dollars in home purchases and, and, and education loans. What's in the way? The supposed battle between free market capitalism and socialism is no longer a sufficient explanation for the utter decay of Western cultures and economies. The decades-long gridlock and seesaw dynamics of parliamentary houses are not the real reason that problems do not get fixed. For the most part, the congressional wearers of red or blue have all the necessary blue to agree on throwing Federal Reserve notes at a cheap welfare program. The first need that comes to mind is homelessness. The very instantiation of homelessness reeks of political dysfunction. But does either political system need to win out in order to curb hopelessness? For a moment, I will suspend my understanding that governments tend to cause homelessness in the first place via very various financial interventions, and aside from their also role in the proliferation of narcotics, <clears throat> and, and then the role that narcotics play in homelessness, and the safety and mental health issues that go along with trying to curb homelessness. Aside from those, it's hard to imagine why homelessness should not have been addressed effectively already. When you really think about it, why do we have more, not less? 
We're supposed to live in the most technologically advanced, highest economic state that's ever been achieved. Real people, laissez-faireists, such as myself, as well as communists, want to see homelessness solved, or failing perfection significantly mediated. The mixed economy political arrangement of virtually every Western country allows both viewpoints to act meaningfully. This question is especially important for those of the persuasion that either of capitalism or socialism are destroying everything. So that was some writing that I put together many months ago. I'm thinking probably in February or perhaps March. And that just got shoved aside because I that tends to happen. And homelessness was an example that came to mind at the time. And I was reading those words rather fresh. But I think I think I, I, I would just I would love some feedback on on that. Um, because homelessness came to me at the time, just tip of my brain, I wrote the thoughts down. And rather than, than question those thoughts from months ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to read them. So, and then another, another example that comes to mind returns to, to regenerative agriculture. You see, there is this great uh, philanthropist that so many people think is great. Anyway, I'm not one of them, but he's a high, high-profile philanthropist. Uh, and not only that, but in these days, gets to speak on all sorts of matters of of popular concern, as if he's an expert uh, on them, and. Which is really, which is really, it's kind of strange at this point, but but very few people seem to understand that. And and a few years ago, I noticed that this person was endeavoring to sponsor the importation and uh, the facilitation of petrol-based inorganic salt fertilizers onto the continent of Africa so that Africans with their decrepit soils, degraded soils, could begin growing higher yielding crops. To make, the, to make it all simpler, you know, this was about fertilizer to, so that the Africans could grow more crops. And I found this anything but delighting, not because I want Africans to suffer, but because this was another issue of what was missing in plain sight. For me, I, I come from the understanding that, that, that fertilizers are actually bad for soil. When I say fertilizers, I, I'm saying them with air quotes. I'm saying that word with air quotes. For the rest of my life, I want people to to imagine me holding up air quotes every time I say the word fertilizer un- until the paradigm changes anyway because what we have especially um, the the dry ureas 
the, all the, the ureas, the um, anhydrous ammonia, etc., are are soil sterilizing comp, you know, compounds, and and that they disrupt the the natural functions of soil, which which actually lead to healthy functioning ecosystems, and and plants of such quality that they confer health upon the humans and animals that eat them. And so this was something that I already knew at the time that I found out about whose whose endeavor to to get fertilizer into Africa. Well, none other than Bill Gates. Now, what the continent of Africa needs much more than fertilizer by a factor of 10 or 20 is managed grazing and water facilitation. Just as that's needed in many places around the world. But so Bill Gates was, um, you know, playing great benefactor again. And I thought that's funny. You know, people must be uh, knocking down, knocking on, on Bill Gates' door pretty hard for the last few years, trying to get him to invest in regenerative agriculture, a system that doesn't, in the long term, require very many, it doesn't, it doesn't require anything that he was trying to move into Africa, as far as I'm aware, let's put it that way, doesn't require these fertilizer inputs, which are a detriment to our soils here in North America, and many of which, by the way, phosphorus and potassium compounds included, attach to soil particles and then are eroded out of crop fields and into rivers and into the Gulf of Mexico. Thus, the hypoxia zone problem that we have there. So, so here we have Bill Gates had, anyway, I think this was three, four years ago, pardon me, and and so I was thinking that's funny. You know, he, he has to have people coming at him left and right to try to get him to invest in regenerative agriculture and promote regenerative agriculture. But instead, he was he was promoting pollutants on the continent of Africa. And what else do we find out? He's he's invested heavily in the um, the fake meats. Uh, beyond meat, it, it, all that stuff, uh, which is just glorified dog food. I, you know, I feel guilty about feeding dog food to my dogs. Never mind, never mind the idea of me trying to feed that to somebody else, another person. So uh, that and and vertical farming, and so so the the I, I should mention, you know, for a matter of technical understanding that that the fake meats are developed in large part from plant materials that are not actually good for humans. So we have um, digestive systems that handle certain things well and now of course we vary from person to person but most of us though, 
are are well adapt well adapted do well with a Mediterranean sort of diet, and and many of us do well with meat. I I think that it has much less to do with um, some of the problems it's accused of causing. And and we are actually fairly well adapted to butter. We're adapted well to to eat. Um, just a very small subset of plants, though, or plant parts. That's my understanding. I think if you pay close attention to your own body as you eat different things, you'll notice some differences in, in your body and its functions. And, and so chickpeas, in particular, uh, is one, one ingredient in that's going to be more common and it's going to be part peas, peas of different kinds for that matter, are going to be a consistent part of these, these fake meats. And legume seeds, peas included, seeds, seeds in general are, are really not very, um, they're not very, very good for humans. You know, grains such as corn, wheat, etc., cause a lot of inflammation for us. And, and legume um, seeds such as chili beans, Peas, etc., also cause a different set of, of problems, but also probably certain different inflammatory effects. And by the way, where are we growing these things? Well, we're growing them mostly in crop fields that are doused in these things that I'm trying to tell you are destructive to the soils. So it's not it's not planetary friendly. We had, you know, we we're, you can't just we can't just juxtapose fairly plant-based foods up against poorly raised livestock raised on grain. It's you know I I I get that those are alternatives to be discussed, but it's not as if that method of livestock production is the only one on the table. The combined um, factors on the environment and on human health in favor of grass-fed meats, and by that I mean from start to finish, grass-finished, forage-raised animals are tremendous, are head and shoulders, farther than that probably, above what is, what is propounded as the future of diet via plant-based diet. And, and I think that, well, there's just been a really simple trickery involved in creating the opposite impression. And so for those of you who are now for the first time coming around to to you know to hearing that sort of idea for the first time, I, I want to go back. I want to remind you that I started out by telling you so many crops around the world are grown with these fertilizers. I'm saying that if Bill Gates were really interested in a system of independence and wealth for Africans or for North Americans or or anyone else, 
that he wouldn't be pushing them. And, and if he's really for environmental safety and improvement, he would not be pushing these things. He would go straight to what is actually good, not some circuitous route that's not really necessary. So, and, and so those things, which I'm saying aren't good and not necessary, are also not, they're also involved in the production, much of the production of the hailed plant-based diet today. I'm not going to get further into where all the plants come to support the plant-based diet, other than to mention vertical farming, which I think is, is another one of Bill Gates' interests, which consists of basically hydroponic um, growing inside of buildings. And this is a method that so far rarely confers levels of health, levels of vitality into plants that that can give upper tier health to the humans that consume them because the conditions are are generally it's very difficult. It's very intensive to try to, to mimic the possible biological conditions that can be obtained in soils. It's very, 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 very difficult to mimic them and create the same effects in a hydroponic system. And, and I think that this is part of the appeal is, is you have this person who's supposedly the benefactor of earth and he's pushing this very low grade method on the continent of Africa to, to produce more grains, by the way. And and he's he's promoting these very low-grade food products for North Americans. It matters. It matters what you put into your body. I don't think... I think there's a good chance that whoever arrives here uh, to listen to these episodes is going to agree with that. Well, what I'm telling you is that plants have about four different tiers of health that we can that we can uh, currently sort of divide out into observable um, sort of separations and and it once you go from once you reach three it's really easy to reach the fourth one that's what tends to happen a lot of times but it's it, but the line between two and three is what what really is kind of the the hump and and to get to, to get from vitality stage two to three would be a significant thing for for the animals including humans who eat those plants and and is from my understanding is very rare for hydroponically grown plants to reach that stage three and and since Bill Gates is, doesn't appear to be interested in in high quality food, I think he I, I think that he or whoever he um, you know that that's I don't want to open a can of worms here. I think that that his interests are more about promoting fashionable um, 
you know, fashionable techniques and topics. And, and, and they're not, they don't really have the best interests of, of vast individuals who want to make their own choices and live healthy. I, I, don't, I don't see that. And so that was what was missing in plain sight. When I heard that Bill Gates was going to sponsor all this fertilizer, I saw very simply it was missing that he you know, should be promoting regenerative agriculture, a, a system that would not just promote a more productive agriculture, which is environmentally not just friendly, it is environmentally regenerative. It's not just environmentally regenerative, it's humanly regenerative. It's culturally regenerative, or at least it has the potential to be on scales we've come nowhere close to experimenting with, because at this point, we're around 2% of the population of the world is embracing the things that I'm talking about, that I am propounding. And yet, the world's greatest benefactor doesn't support them. Now, back toward the beginning of this episode with, with, with Tim Ryan of Ohio. He was, he was saying, look, we need to convert this industrial farming enterprise into a regenerative one that sustains the land and actually sequesters carbon, he said. He named a couple of famous farmers who I've met, fortunately, they're real people, and he said, we can, we can make a system that drives down health care costs and, and, and make, you know, leads to people's health, and we can talk about health instead of disease care, he said. This was on, once more, it was on the Democrat presidential debate stage. Where is regenerative agriculture? He, among just a few other high-profile politicians, have mentioned that phrase in the past few years. If such people were truly interested in the prosperity and thriving of 330 million people, do you suppose... that they would overcome the agribusiness lobby, they would overcome the fertilizer lobby, they would overcome the powers of Bear Monsanto and Dow DuPont, now, now called Corteva. Do you suppose people who really cared would work to make a change I mean just just talking about it just talking about it would make a difference but instead Tim Ryan 
into his campaign three months later. Thank you for your time and your attention. And I hope that you will go forward devoting some of your attention to focusing on negative space and thinking about what's missing that should be there. Have a wonderful day.